What's going on guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button and make sure you leave a review. It really helps us out a lot and yeah, it seems like we're growing week to week and also we have created Coffee and Van Chat stickers and some of you have reached out to me already. So be sure to reach out at info at johncroomcycling.com with your address and I'll send you a sticker and a note and maybe some other cool things. But anyways, let's dive into this week's episode with Sean Gardner. Sean Gardner is the first athlete to do the Everest world record in under seven hours. He beat the likes of Phil Guyman, Alberto Contador, Lachlan Morton, and many more. Not only is that impressive, but Sean had to do over 300 watts while he was going up the climb, and he went up the climb at least 52 times. I'm really excited about this episode because many times we get guys on and they're talking about all their geeky and nerdy things that they had to do, and really what's cool about Sean is that he's just like any other normal dude. He talks about his normal stocked Cannondale that he didn't do anything crazy to, no crazy cutting of the handlebars, no crazy waxing of the chain, just him, the bike, and the hill, and it's super cool. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. But first, let's hear a quick message from our sponsors. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats. I'm sitting here with the new Eversting world record holder, Sean Gardner, out of Virginia, 26 years old. And yeah, Sean, how are you doing, man? I'm great. Legs are uh, starting to recover a little bit. Arms aren't as much, so... Yeah, how how much time does that usually take, like a based off feel? Because like I just did white rim on Monday, which is like a completely polar opposite of of Everesting, but it's uh, <laughs> I mean it's got some climbing in it, um, but it just wears the body down. So like, what's that like? I mean, recovery wise. Well, I think uh, you know when kind of cycling, you're uh, you're kind of really concentrating on cycling. You can recover pretty quickly. Um, you know, I've yeah. kind of done all the. Rec- good recovery methods you see out there but uh yeah I guess it takes a a mental toll on you um I would not say I'm ready mentally to go out do another Everest but uh yeah yeah, legs are legs are feeling pretty good now I guess it's four four days or so after well cool so before we start diving in too deep into the Everest let's kind of chat a bit about you um where it all started and 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 kind of like you know because I see your coach um you've raced for some for some bigger teams um you know pretty much on the amateur level but like right at that cusp like i mean i think there's this fine line in u.s racing where when you're a domestic uh elite like some of those teams to me are just as much pro as some of these pro teams it's just that it's like you're the homeless version of pro like you're you're pretty you're, pretty, you're scrounging for money so give me give me a little bit of the background of of you and kind of where it all started man yeah so um, I guess athletically, uh, you know, I kind of started out in the running background in high school, ran competitively, and then um, I went to school at Virginia Tech. Um, wasn't quite fast enough for the, the track team or cross-country team there, so kind of got into uh, triathlons there. So I guess that's my intro into the, the biking world, and then kind of the natural transition into uh, pure bike racing throughout college, uh, collegiate collegiate program at Virginia Tech was super cool. It was a good group of guys and, you know, some of the most fun I've had racing there. Um, so yeah, I think graduating in 2016 and kind of living the, uh, the domestic elite cycling life since then, kind of like what you mentioned, the, the homeless life. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, for sure. So like, is there, is there like any goals for you? Like, do you have a goal? Like, is there, 
I mean, obviously, like, we all want to be pro, but, like, is there kind of a goal for you on that or still? Um, I don't know. I really – I, I kind of enjoy the lifestyle of just, like, traveling, seeing cool places. I don't – wouldn't necessarily, um, you know, say I want to end at some certain team or if I'm, you know, pro or whatever. Um, you know, I think I really enjoy the process of everything. So, yeah. Right on. No, that makes sense. Um, and so, and so Everesting. So we've, we've been seeing like due to this pandemic, it's almost spiked this urge for people to just go out and climb. I still haven't gotten that bug or catch that, that dream to go climb up the same exact climb anywhere from what, 29, 30, 40 times. Um, yeah. Cause it seems like the climbs are getting shorter. Like the guys are trying to pick shorter and steeper and uh but yeah where did where did that come up for you where you're just like you know what like i think i could do this so um you know as a racer i think my my talents have always strung towards the longer hillier harder road races so um you know it's i guess kind of what an everesting is it's a long hilly time trial so yeah i think with this summer they're obviously hasn't been much racing um besides Zwift racing which I'm not too great at um (laughs) so I think yeah I kind of just been tooting around doing some base miles this summer and saw some people have been getting records Contador Gaiman put up a few times so um a few of my teammates did this I love how you say that super nonchalant he's like yeah Contador (laughs) Gaiman yeah it's no big deal I just give it a shot (laughs) there's other cyclists (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i think it just kind of a saw it in the medias and you know thought it might be kind of fun type two fun i guess um so yeah gave it a go about a month ago or so for my first time and yeah i had no idea what to expect i've never done an uphill seven hour time trial so really didn't know what to expect going into it but yeah, I guess that was kind of the motivation. Just saw it's been gaining popularity and no other uh, outlets to my competitiveness. For sure, yeah. So how do you even, like, decide to train for that, though? Like, I mean, obviously, the last thing you need to go do is, you know, because, t- I mean, obviously, we don't race. Like, we'll do these races, 100-mile races that are under four hours, but we're not out riding, smashing 100 miles yeah. under four hours. So how are you training for an Everest, which is going to be – under seven hours and 29,000 feet of climbing. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, even like, for example, like the elite marathoners, they don't go out and do a marathon. So yeah, I think, um, really just been doing some long endurance rides, maybe a little tempo here and there. Um, I live not in a mountainous area, Richmond, Virginia. So the longest climb I have here is like 30 or 45 seconds. So I really didn't do any climbing leading up to this, just more um, kind of those power zones that just building that, that endurance that I need. Yeah. So, and we saw that you rode your team's bike, which is the Cannondale super six Evo. Did mm-hmm. you do any crazy dorky custom mods to make it lighter, faster, anything crazy? No. So um, yeah, I guess this has gained popularity, but yeah, I didn't, I took off, the back bottle cage but that's oh. the extent <laughs> saved saved about whatever that is 20 grams yeah. or so yeah um yeah i didn't do any 
any dorking, mostly because I don't didn't necessarily have the resources to uh, chop off my handlebars or uh, buy a new whatever, like single speed chain ring or stuff like that. So yeah, I used the the stock race bike that we have, which I mean, to be honest, is a really nice race bike. So, sure. you know, it's like 17 or 18 pounds or so. Um, but yeah, definitely the previous record holder, I, I don't know how heavy his bike was, but yeah, he went full on, uh, took off some cassette rings and took off his chain rings, got off his handlebars. Um, yeah, I I think to a certain extent, uh, power kind of outweighs the the watt per kilo there. Yeah. So what was so what was your power and what was your weight, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah. So uh, weight wise, I think I don't have a scale at home, but I'm somewhere between 140, 145 or so. Um, okay. Power wise, I was doing about I tried to target 310 for pretty much the whole time so the first time i ever stood i started out 320 330 and then really faded towards the end so this time i went out at 310 and i pretty much held that every time up the climb until like the last two laps where i started cracking but at that point i could kind of see the finish line so yeah 310 is kind of upper upper tempo for for me wow so how long was the actual lap itself um, it was about a seven minute climb and then a minute descent. So eight minute laps. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's insane to think about. So now that you've done this, like you, uh, you're getting all of this press. Um, I mean, bicycling magazines picked it up. Bella news, Bill Guyman has picked it up. Has anybody else reached out to you? Like trying to get you to talk more about it, obviously besides me. Um, or is it, is it kind of one of those things that you feel like it's only a matter of way before, <laughs> somebody else is like oh i'm doing it this weekend hey guys sorry for the interruption i just wanted to let you guys in on a little secret that i wish i knew about sooner and that is chamois butter with the current pandemic and everybody jumping on bikes you're probably wondering to yourself am i supposed to feel uncomfortable down there and then you decide to confide in somebody that you trust and that maybe even got you into cycling and they just say oh you'll get used to it well in reality it's actually an easy fix and you don't have to get used to pain and that is by using chamois butter. This product is something, again, that I wish I knew about sooner, and when I found out about it, it made my rides that much more enjoyable, along with allowing me to ride longer. So don't ride in discomfort and check out chamois butter today. Now let's get back to the episode. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of how it goes with this Everest. It's kind of exponentially started getting more popular. Um, yeah, I've definitely received quite a bit of uh, social media presence here, more than normal, definitely. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, I feel like before I did this, you know, my immediate friend group knew I was going to do this, but, you know, no one knew that I was going to do it that weekend. So, you know, who knows, someone else could do it next weekend and put up a, a pretty good time. So well, I think... For sure. I feel like the guy that had it before you was kind of like that. Like nobody... Yeah, exactly. Nobody really knew the guy um she kind of went everyone's looking at phil guyman but you know yeah. i feel like there might be an, another person out there which is rough for phil because i feel like <laughs> even when he's like in the media like in the process of posting like where he's gonna do it and even if he did it like there's somebody else doing it while he's filming him doing it yeah and i just think it's, it's pretty nuts he's got his uh his whole fan club like working for him though they're 
finding climbs for him and the perfect gradient and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, man, it would actually kind of be a bummer if he doesn't do it then yeah. at that point. So let's say, let's say here in a month or so it gets taken. Would you go out again and do it? Uh, you know, honestly, I probably would. Um, yeah, just give it a crack. I'm definitely, I'm definitely not going to steal it from myself. I'm not going to try and improve my time right now, but yeah, I mean. No need, just you know, sit on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is the kind of, I, I enjoy, like I do, you know, long training rides similar to this. So yeah, I, I enjoy climbing and riding my bike. So, you know, it's definitely a type two fun, but I can see myself going for it again. Right on. So let's dive into a little bit about, let's say 2020 you know, 2021 comes back to normal. Like everything comes back to normal. Life goes back to normal. What, what do you see yourself doing in 2021? I mean, like there's not in America, there's not very many races where you're going up climbs. Like you got Redlands, um, you have Gila, but yeah. What, what are your, what are your kind of goals? What are your kind of targets leading into 2021? Yeah. So yeah, Redlands and Gila have really been the only races I've ever done well in. So yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. I think you know, hopefully, twenty twenty one kind of gets back to normal. But I don't think we can necessarily make any hard plans for bike racing or anything out of bike racing. So yeah, I think I'm kind of wanted to just go with the flow, see what happens. Um, still, always riding my bike. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess no real, no real hard plans at this moment, but yeah. For sure. Yeah. And so you're, you're also a coach I see. Um, and so, you know, tell us a little bit about like kind of your, your coaching business. I'd love to hear a little bit about that and, and kind of where that started. How's that doing in the current pandemic and how are you kind of keeping athletes motivated? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it really started as more of a, just a, I guess a side hustle just to, make a little extra. Um, and, you know, I think my previous coach and I think always in the sport of cycling, I've always kind of been interested in, uh, you know, the, the, the physiological and kind of like different workouts and how your body responds to it. So I've always kind of been interested in that side of the sport, um, how, how training works, I guess. So, um, yeah, I think it was kind of a, a natural, uh, lead into it and um it's still i wouldn't it's definitely i wouldn't consider it a business at all it's still sure. more of a side hustle but um yeah. yeah i think it's it's doing well yeah yeah and so like if anybody wanted to reach out to you they just hit you up on facebook hit you up on instagram and kind of go from there uh, yeah if anybody slide on the dms slide in the dms if they want to beat <laughs> your everest record they just slide into your dms so yeah I exactly get that. I get that. so um so yeah, man, uh, we do, a, we do a few segments here on the podcast, just of, of, you know, quick, fun segments. And, uh, one segment that I kind of want to dive into is kind of, uh, you get, you get one opportunity to have coffee with anyone dead or alive. And how would you take your coffee and who would that person be? And what would you want to talk to them about? Mm. Does that make sense? So like, for yeah. me, like, as of today, I would love to have coffee with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I'd probably want to talk to him about, like, where, why he ended up on uh, the Austin 316, like, where that crossover comes in to coffee, I mean, into wrestling. And I'd probably uh, have a pumpkin spice latte, because I think it'd just be kind of ironic for the time that we're in. 
but and I just right. think it'd be funny. But and so Justin Williams was uh, I think he wanted Kobe Bryant, and he just likes a good black coffee or no vanilla vanilla bean something or another. So what 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 would yours be? Who would it be? Uh, and what would you chat to him about? Yeah, so I think uh, my person would probably be Derek Jeter. Um, okay. I, I was, I think, a, a Yankee fanboy when I was a kid, um, and he was kind of the uh, the Tom Brady of baseball at that point. So, right on, right on. yeah, I, I don't know necessarily specifics what we would talk about. Hopefully, uh, maybe a little about baseball, maybe a little <laughs> about personal life. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and, well, so I'm actually not even – much of a coffee drinker that's okay um, it can be any drink for that matter i would probably go with a nice cup of green tea green tea yeah hot or cold hot hot okay because i'm like i'm a cold green tea kind of guy but i would assume that's not like real tea <laughs> i am touching in the south here so we get a little nice yeah, yeah. ice iced tea action but <laughs> yeah see i'm from south carolina so that's probably okay, why nice. I'm, like, I'm into yeah. that into that kind of uh kind of beverage so yeah, man. And so to kind of just like finish it up, wrap it up, um, for the most part, like what if like, cause it sounds like you started in college, right? Um, yeah. and so what's your feedback for somebody just kind of interested in it, interested in dabbling it into it? Cause I know for me, I was pretty good at sports. Um, and it kind of came naturally like, cause I was a big dude. So football was really easy. I just stood there, um, made sure nobody got behind me. Right. And just stand in front of someone. <laughs> And, but cycling is a very complicated sport and nine times out of 10, you're losing. Like, it's not very often that you have a winning record. And so like, what's your kind of feedback on kind of telling somebody like, Hey, like, this is a way to get into cycling, be patient kind of thing. Yeah. So I think it's definitely a, a hard sport to get into. It's a pretty big uh, barrier to get a bike, I guess. Um, a nice bike but you yeah you don't even need a bike for most of collegiate cycling i was riding on a like 800 dollars aluminum frame so yeah i would say that uh collegiate collegiate cycling is a cool way to get into the sport um it's super chill uh i think most colleges at least have a small program um so yeah i guess for the collegiate riders i would say kind of check that out but uh to everyone else like really just don't take it super seriously i think um still to this day i you know i think you got to kind of go with the flow the sport of cycling is kind of weird and especially in 2020 i guess you know all these races are getting canceled um yeah like i you know every day i see like up and coming guys kind of doing all these structured workouts intervals uh like counting calories just super regimented and you know i see like a few years down the line they kind of burn out and aren't as passionate about the sport but yeah i think you know if you're kind of if you enjoy what you're doing day in day out um and you can make it fit in your lifestyle i think it's a good good method to kind of really enjoy the sport yeah man and i think that's where i've like becomes like thoroughly impressed with you like we haven't overcomplicated a thing. Like when it came to Everesting, it was like, yeah, I rode my stock bike, stock components, like, and it was that. And, you know, like, I don't really know my weight that morning of. And I think, like, did you dive into your nutrition plan, though, pretty seriously for that? Like, was it pretty regimented in that sense? Yeah, so 
Um, yeah, so I did an Everest attempt, uh, probably it was like two and a half weeks before this record attempt I did. Um, and yeah, I think you had mentioned it's about, I did it like a 30 minute faster time. Uh, the only things I changed were my nutrition and my pacing. So I guess we kind of already touched on pacing. I kind of just stayed steady the yeah. whole time, but nutrition wise, um, the first time I really, uh, wasn't so great i you know most right normal training rides i'll do um i'll just eat like peanut butter jelly pop tarts gummy bears um kind of just real food type stuff but you know i used that for everesting and just wasn't working it was kind of too hard of an effort to really eat a peanut butter jelly sandwich um so yeah the second time around i used some drink mix uh scratch labs makes like a new like 400 calorie per bottle mix so that really helped. Um, yeah, I kind of threw in, try to do real food towards the beginning, a few pop tarts. Um, but yeah, kind of transitioned to gels towards the end. Around what time do you think you transitioned? Um, if you even remember. Yeah, I guess it was all kind of a, a blur, but yeah, I would say like halfway or so halfway, I started. Okay. Yeah. Cause um, I'm just like thinking like all that sugar on the stomach yeah. would just be game over. Yeah. I mean, everyone always thinks like after a big ride like that, you're, you've got to be starving and you got to be so tired, but yeah, my stomach is wrecked after drink, drinking so much sugar and eating so much sugar that, yeah, even like that night and the morning after you're not really that hungry for anything. What was your, uh, and so, yeah. So last question, what was your, uh, what was your post-ride meal? Like there had to be something when you hit that lap, that last lap, and you were just like, I'm hungry, I'm tired, my hands are numb, my body's numb, but I will have X at the end of this ride. What well, it was, it was definitely not going to be sweet. I could tell you that. <laughs> I had, had so much sweet stuff that day. Yeah. Um, we ended up, uh, I got Indian takeout, a nice uh, tikka masala, chicken tikka masala. Oh, uh, yeah. Even, yeah. with the, even with a little bit of Southern twang on that, and the tikka masala. Chicken yeah. tikka masala. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for jumping on. And uh, guys, if you haven't seen already, this is your new Everest world record holder. But if this podcast comes out a week late, then that'll be interesting. And, <laughs> and maybe, maybe we'll have a new Everest world record holder because it just seems like this record is getting faster and faster and faster. For sure. And uh, yeah. And so, yeah. So please check out Sean Gardner's uh, social media and Instagram down in the link below. Other than that, guys, thanks so much.